This is Scott and Danielle Sweeney, and we want to welcome you to the Sunday worship service of the Desert Cities Church of Christ. It's amazing to be together, and in Psalm 8-1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in this time of the coronavirus, of stresses, of different challenges that are happening, it's awesome to come together to be able to worship God and have him be our stronghold and our refuge during this time. It is so great to be together on this special day. And like the scripture said that Scott read, it has been helping me so much just to go out on prayer walks and see God's majesty, to go out and see nature, to pray for all of you, and to find the peace that comes from God, and just to see in nature God's power, his beauty, and how he just loves us with such detail and is so good always. Also, please check out the description below with links to our online giving, as well as our social media, where you can find announcements, devotionals, encouragement, and ways to connect throughout the week. We'd also love to hear from you any prayer requests or questions you have, so we can be here for you and help you during this time. We want all of you to know that we've been praying fervently for you. Please get your Bibles now as Jake Rock preaches a sermon in our Rescue Story series as we lead up to Easter. Have a great service. Good morning and welcome again to the Desert Cities Church of Christ online Sunday service. My name is Jake Rock and I'm so happy uh, that you joined us here today. And, uh, and I'm so looking forward to what we're going to be talking about. As a quick note, after the message, there will be a time for you to pause the video. And I said pause. Yeah, pause the video for worship. And there will be some more explanations later on, but we'll have a time of worship, and then after that will be our time for our weekly offering. So more instructions will be coming later on. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time this week, our church has started a series getting ready for Easter called The Rescue Story. And the point of this series is to examine some of the characters surrounding the cross. Last week, Scott talked about the Beloved, which was uh, which was John, the 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 disciple that Jesus loved. And, and we're going to be looking at another character here today. But all the people that were surrounding Jesus that, that had to do with the cross, but also that Jesus was saving them from something. And today, the title of our sermon is called The Betrayer. And we're going to be talking about Judas, the most famous betrayer, the, the villain of villains in one sense um, that, that's ever lived. And you know, he's a character in the Bible that I really wrestled with. And I've studied so much in the Bible about. Uh, and really, I, I think he's an incredibly important character. Oftentimes it gets overlooked because he, he teaches us some incredibly important things about Jesus, about love, and even some of the things in our own nature and our ability to choose things in our relationship with God. And, uh, and I want to just put a word of caution out there. If you have young kids, please be aware as we reach the end of the story, you know, that the, the, the way... You know, things end with him is not very pretty. And so if you, you're sensitive to that with your kids, I just want you to be aware uh, of that as we go on through the sermon. I'm going to say a word of prayer and we're going to jump in. God, thank you so much for the chance to be here right now. That technology is what it is, that we can still gather in this way to, uh, to have your word be preached. I pray that you will, you will use me, speak through me, and that, uh, and that this will, the message will sink in deep into our hearts uh, as we examine really who we are before you and, and because of Jesus. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the plan is that today we're going to walk through the story of Judas 
uh, from the Gospels and just where he shows up and kind of go through the story. And then at the end, after the cross, we're going to discuss kind of what we what really can we glean from this and learn from this as people. So starting out here, uh, Judas really first comes onto the scene at the very beginning when Jesus is calling his 12 disciples. And in Luke 6.16, the wording here is really interesting. It says, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now in this passage, uh, Jesus is na- it's naming off all the 12 disciples that are there. But when it brings up Judas, it's interesting the way that Luke describes him. It says, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And I think this is an important quality for us to, to, to grasp here because Judas obviously gets villainized and rightfully so for the choices that he made later on, but that it's not that he started off. When Jesus first called him, it wasn't like he was already in this evil place, ready to go, wanting to give Jesus up. That, that by all accounts, what we can even glean is that when he started off in the mission of being a disciple of Jesus, that that Everything that he, he wanted to be there, he was ready to do uh, the work of being a disciple, but eventually he became a traitor. So he didn't start that way, but he became that way. And, and that's kind of what, part of what we want to explore is, is what, what happened in Judas's heart, where, what led him to do what he did. And the truth of the matter is, there's a huge gap. That really what we read right now is like the last time that Judas is mentioned until almost Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. We don't hear much about him individually. We hear a lot more about Peter, James, and John. But what we can assume, based on what it says about the other disciples, the other apostles, is that just like the other apostles, he preached, he cast out demons, he did miracles, just like the other 12, that he was, he was just as engaged in the mission of being a disciple as the other ones were. And what we can also see from that is that it, we don't, it doesn't seem that Jesus treated him any differently than the other 12. That, you know, in another passage um, in the Gospels, it does say that, that, that Jesus says, one of you is a devil, but he doesn't say who. He doesn't, he doesn't name Judas in that, at that moment. And so by all accounts, Judas was just a faithful disciple, doing what, what, what Jesus was asking of him. And Jesus, you know, didn't single him out of the other 12. But then where we see him really show up and where the story starts to change more is in John chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. In John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. It's, it's, we're getting ready to see Jesus uh, getting closer to the crucifixion. Starting in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. All right. What, what we can see here is, is we see more of Judas's sinful nature and kind of where he had devolved uh, into at this point. 
that his heart seems to have hardened over time. And what it tells us is that, is that he was the keeper of the money and that basically he was kind of skimming off the top. He was taking, he was helping himself to the money kind of whenever he needed it, whenever he wanted it. And, and that illustrates something that happens to us, that when we make sinful choices, and I'm sure probably the first time he did it, it wasn't like this just overt thing. Maybe he was, he was sweating. Maybe his heart was racing at the thought of doing something like that, taking money that was used for spiritual purposes. But afterwards, you do it once, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and your heart starts to harden. And what ends up happening in this story is that when Mary, who comes to Jesus in total humility and gratitude, that Jesus had just brought her brother back from the dead, and in humility, she pours out this perfume, which is a whole thing that, that we could do on for another time, uh, that the perfume was was would be used. Uh, a woman would be given something like this one time for a wedding, and it, it was it was worth a year's wages. It was extremely expensive, and so out of honor of Jesus, she pours this all over his feet in gratitude. As she's falling before him, she's weeping. She's wiping her his feet with her hair. It's such an incredibly humble circumstance. And then there's Judas, and his attitude was, "What is this woman thinking? What's wrong with her?" This She's wasting this perfume on Jesus' feet instead of using it for some more noble purpose. And really what that communicates in this is he thought he knew better than Jesus what was going on. He thought he knew better what to do with the money and all that stuff. And some of it, as it points out, was selfish. It was that he wanted to be able to have something like that so he could skim off the top. But the truth is we can get to places like this in our hearts just like Judas where we think we know better than Jesus. We think we know better what to do with our lives, what to do with our time, what to do with our money, what to do with our relationships, that that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. And why would I submit to the, to what he says in the Bible? Because I, I want to do what I want to do. And that's not something that just happens necessarily. It's something that we that we devolve into with sinful choices. And in Judas's case, his, his heart was pretty exposed at this point. That for him to take a moment that would have been so, so real, so humbling, so tender. Uh, and, and even Jesus saying, man, she was using this, she was using this to prepare me for my burial because he was getting ready to go to the cross and he missed it because he was so in his own world and thinking what he knew best. And, and the truth of the matter is really a lot of the things that we struggle with in life is because it is, is because we think we know better than Jesus. And we want to choose what we want to choose. Well, continuing on with this, uh, what the Bible tells us in pretty much all the Gospels is that from this moment, it's almost like from this, this meal, Judas leaves to go meet with the chief priests to agree to turn Jesus in. That, that It's almost like this moment was kind of the, the, the thing that pushed Judas over the edge to agree to turn Jesus in. And, and I've struggled with this question for Years and years about why did Judas do it? Why did Judas agree to turn Jesus in? Um, because there's so many things like, okay, the Bible says that he, he wasn't born the traitor, but he became the traitor. So it's not like that, that when this all started, that this was just, this was just bound to happen necessarily. But I think what it communicates to me is that, is that 
not just along the lines of his sinful choices, but a lot of the, the, the commentaries I've read about Judas would even suggest that, that maybe it was in his mind, as a Jew, he thought he knew what the Messiah was supposed to be. That he thought he, he knew what Jesus was supposed to be like. That he was supposed to be a king. He was supposed to end the, the tyranny of the Romans and that he was going to bring about the, the, uh, the nation of Israel again. And, and then after three years of being with Jesus, you realize it's not, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I, what I wanted the Messiah to be. And some of the commentaries even suggest that, that maybe even him willing, being willing to agree to turn Jesus in was trying to force Jesus's hand into being the king that he expected him to be, that he would just rise to the moment and step up or something. But, or in, in another part of it, maybe it was just that he was, he had gotten so lost at this point. He was so in his own sin that that he just wanted he wanted money. He wanted something for himself. He thought he deserved it after the three years of being with Jesus. There's no way to know. But part of the thing that we've got to wrestle with in this is that is that Jesus had been loving Judas perfectly. You know that Jesus was the perfect friend, the perfect teacher, the perfect. Um, uh, the, the the perfect brother, the perfect Messiah, the perfect man. Everything about Jesus was perfect. That means that he loved Judas perfectly. And that even though he'd been with Jesus almost every day for three and a half years, there's still a part of this that he had to choose. He had to choose what kind of man he was going to be. He had to choose if he was going to surrender to to Jesus or not. And obviously what we see is that Jesus is that Judas chose not to. And so part of what even that communicates to me is that is that we could be in the most ideal circumstance. We could we could be with people who love us. We could be around the Bible, around church for most of our lives, but ultimately God is still going to give us the choice about what we want to do with that. And I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 26. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew for the rest of the time here as we kind of go through the story from there. So he leaves, he meets with the chief priest, agrees to turn uh, to turn Jesus in. And uh, in, in several of the Gospels, it says that he was looking for an opportunity. Let's pick up in Matthew 26 and verse 20. It says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him to if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. And so here we get the picture of Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. And I want you to imagine for a minute what Judas was, was feeling, what he was thinking, knowing that he had already talked to the chief priests and, uh, and he was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus, what it would be like to be him at that table. The, the, the fear, the anxiety, the, the, the feeling out of place, the, 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 maybe the just general lostness you would feel. And, you know, even Jesus in, uh, in Luke and John, it says that he, he broke the bread and he handed it to Judas. That even 
Jesus doing that, especially as the teacher, was meant to be a mark of honor. So here, here you are, Judas, and your Lord, your Messiah, your, your teacher is handing you bread as a mark of honor, knowing what you know that you're trying to figure out how to turn him in. And what the book of John actually says about this is it says that this was the moment that when Jesus hands him that bread, that that's when things turn for Judas. That Satan takes hold of his heart and his thinking. And what Jesus ends up telling him in that moment in the book of John was, all right, friend, go and do what you have set out to do and do it quickly. So Judas gets up from that moment and leaves the table to go finish the process of turning him into the chief priests. And you can imagine even what the other disciples were thinking, the, the confusion, the, the you know, what, what is Jesus doing here? Why, why is Jesus leaving? All those different things. But here again, Judas in his heart gotten, had now gotten to a place where he, he was ready to turn over the Messiah for something that ultimately he knew Jesus wasn't guilty of. And it says they finish this meal and they sing and they go off to the garden. Uh, where Jesus was going to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're not going to read the whole, the whole passage where Jesus is praying there, but after the hours of agony, of, of, of praying and sweating drops of blood, it says that, that Jesus is finally ready to go and meet his accuser. Let's pick up in verse 47. Actually, starting in verse 46, it says, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. This, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And we'll stop. And it says, Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. We'll stop there. This scene is always so painful for me to read. And if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you know that, that, that this moment is just, there's, there's just a part of your heart that even just tenses up watching it. But Judas comes with all of these men to, to arrest Jesus. And the signal, the signal that he decides to give to show that, that it's Jesus that this is the guy they want to arrest, is, is a kiss. And in Luke twenty two forty eight, 48, the, the Luke account of this interaction, Jesus actually says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That you can almost hear the agony in Jesus' voice and what he says. of saying, like, Judas, are you so far, are you so caught up in sin right now that, you would, that your heart has gotten so hard that you would turn me in with an act of love? That you would turn me in in a way that would signify our relationship and our friendship. And what this illustrates so so powerfully and in a unique way, I think, is, is what the Bible says in James chapter one. That it describes that even you know being overcome by sin, it's not it's not an overnight process. It doesn't happen doesn't happen just from one choice. It describes that we're we're dragged away and enticed by our own sinful nature. And then sin, uh, sin gives birth to, or, or that our, our temptation conceives and gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. That there's a process, there's a, there's a slow burn. There's, you know, there's a, a Casting Crown song called Slow Fade where it describes 
that it's, it's, it's a slow fade that we give ourselves away to our sinful nature. That eventually, and I think the story of Judas even is, is a warning on so many levels, that our hearts can get to a place where we can be so hardened and calloused over time that we would do things that we would never think possible. That I can look at even my own life and choices I've made at different times in the past, and I can see times where it wasn't just like I had this random temptation, but but where I've been making small choices that I knew weren't right or knew weren't best, and eventually got myself to a place where I didn't recognize the man that I saw anymore. But the story's not over yet. We're picking up in Matthew 27 and verse 1. And again, I want to be parents, I want you to be mindful of your young kids what it says at the end if you're sensitive to, to hearing for them hearing this part. Starting in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away and he hanged himself. And what it describes here in this passage is that, is that Judas, kind of from a distance, sees, sees everything that Jesus was going through, the, the, the trial and, and everything. And it says he's overcome with remorse. That reality of what he had done just sunk in. And, and you can imagine what might be running through your mind. And so the only thing that he can think of to do at that moment is to, is to run back to the chief priest to try to undo the damage, the, to try to fix the problem. If I, if I give back the money, if I give back the 30 pieces of silver, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they'll let him go. But what he runs into here with, uh, with the chief priests and their attitude is, is he said, look, I've, I've sinned and, 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 and betrayed innocent blood. And their attitude is, look, that's, that's on you. That really, you know, the story was, was that they, they wanted to accomplish this either way. This was just the reason. But I think this also illustrates for us in so many ways the reality of sin. That the reality of sin is that we can't undo the damage of our choices. That, that Judas couldn't undo, he couldn't fix what had already been done. Now, the, the hopeful part of this and the truth for us is that we, we get the chance to repent, that we can change, we can be different. And God can provide healing, but it doesn't undo the damage of our sin. It doesn't undo the damage of the things that we, that we decide to give ourselves over to. And when you realize that he couldn't hear, when you realize that, that he couldn't undo it, he couldn't fix it, he was overcome by shame and guilt. And it says, and he went away and he hung himself. And again, I've, I've struggled with this a lot. Was Judas doomed? Was was he just kind of born to, to, to be the traitor, to be doomed to die? I mean, even when, when Jesus says, man, it'd be, it'd be, it's going to be worse for the man that betrays me. It'll be as better as if he, he was never born. That wasn't necessarily an indictment or that, or that he was just doomed from the outset. But what it, what it makes me wonder is, okay, is, is this how the story had to end? Is this how Judas's story had to end? And you know what, what has, has bugged me and what is, what is, been in my mind at different points is what if he waited three days what if instead of 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 being so caught up in the shame and guilt that he felt he just waited three 
days. He could have he could have seen Jesus resurrected. He could have had the kind of experience that that Peter had with with Jesus after the resurrection, when after uh, Peter had had um, disowned Jesus, he comes back to him and says, "Peter, do you still love me?" Maybe Jesus, maybe Judas could have had one of those moments with Jesus. Really, and I studied this out over and over again that, that nothing in the Bible indicates that Judas was beyond repentance and beyond rescue. And in my heart of hearts, my conviction is this is not how his story had to end. But he chose to trust in his shame. He chose to listen to the voice of Satan saying that, that he, he blew it. He couldn't, he couldn't fix it. You know, you'll never be able to live this down. And he chose his guilt and not in the man that he knew Jesus to be. That at this moment, he chose to listen to shame instead of trusting who he knew Jesus to be. And he'd watched Jesus forgive and save and heal. But he didn't trust what Jesus had told him. And so tragically, this is where Judas' story ended. I mean, what could have happened? What, what, a, what a redemption story it might have been if he had waited. Just waited three days. And so this, this, leaves, us, this leaves us with some questions here about what, do we, what can we learn from the story of Judas? That as tragic as it is, I think there are some valuable things that we can glean from this. I think number one, what we can learn from this story is that he became a traitor. That, again, he wasn't born in this role. He didn't start off as a disciple of Jesus, as a traitor. That he made small choices. He walked down the road of James chapter 1. And it led him to thinking that he, he knew better, that he knew better than Jesus. He knew better about his own life and what he wanted. And I think what even that communicates to us is that the, 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 the reason that we struggle in life as Christians, that if we look at the bigger picture of this, that if we really want to follow Jesus, the reason that we really struggle in life is because we think we deserve more than Jesus did. More than Jesus had. And so these things all contributed and he became a traitor because of that. And if we're not careful... We can walk down a similar road where sin can destroy us. Number two, we have to choose Jesus. You have to choose Jesus. Jesus was perfect in his love for Judas, but he still had to choose him or not. You can spend every day in the presence of the Messiah. You could be in church your entire life, but still not make the choice to believe in who he was and believe in the life he wants for you and submit to it. And really at the core of this too, there's something really powerful we have to understand about the love of God and the love of Jesus. Is that for love to really exist, there has to be choice. There is no choice. There is no love. And so part of Jesus' love for Judas was that he still gave him the ability to choose. It's just that Judas didn't choose Jesus. He chose himself. And number three, along with that, you have to choose rescue. Guilt and shame ended up overcoming Judas. Instead of him trusting in the truths of repentance and the love of Jesus. That really even the, the, the focus of this sermon series we're doing is that Jesus wants to rescue us. 
He already paid the price. He already threw out the life preserver for us. But we have to decide to grab it if we want to be saved. And so there's some questions I want us to consider. Things that we can talk about, you know, after this video is over with your family. Uh, you can meditate on it later on. But the, the questions are, are, are as follows. How have you resisted Jesus' rescue in your life? Number two, how have you seen Jesus continue to love you at your worst? And number three, what area of your life is God calling you to change right now? And if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're already given your life over to being a Christian and following him, you know, rescue may look like repentance in an area of your life that you've not changed. It may be rescue from anxiety and fear that in, in the middle of everything going on right now, it's, it's rescue from your fear in our current circumstances. But also, if you're, if you're not a disciple of Jesus or if you're not sure where you are in your relationship with God right now, and I hope that if you're here right now, that means that you're searching. I want to encourage you, please reach out to us as a church. You can reach me directly or, or talk to some, talk to the person that that shared the service with you, that invited you to be a part of this, and, and learn what it means to be rescued by Jesus. And now we're going to have a time to take communion together. And there's a part of the, the, the Lord's Supper that I want us to read together that we didn't read yet. In Matthew 26, in verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for the many, of, or, or poured out for the many, for the sins, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now this is a powerful, powerful part of this story. Because this is a moment of unique fellowship. The communion is, 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 a, is, is something that is meant to be taken in a very somber and a, in a very focused way. And if we're humble, if we're really taking, taking into account what Jesus is even saying here, the communion can be a time where we really come to grips with the reality of where we are before Jesus. You know, there was a time in my life in my early 20s in college when I was in sin. And I, I had totally given, over, given myself, over, myself over to my sinful nature. And I remember a time when I was in church, uh, sitting in the back, and we took communion together. And, and, and I remember just having to come to grips with the reality of where I had been. And taking communion was even, was even kind of hard at that day. But what we can even take into account here from this story is even though Jesus knew where Judas was at, he knew he was going to betray him. He still broke bread with Judas and he still washed Judas' feet. That when Jesus went around humbly and as the, their, their king, their master, their Lord, humbly washed all of his disciples' feet, Judas was there too. And what this illustrates is, is what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says that while we, were still, while we were still enemies, while we were still at our worst, was when Christ died for the ungodly. 
that as we take communion together, this should be a time of humility, but it should also be a time where if we've not been in, the, in, a, in a good place, we can remember that Jesus, that Jesus still loved Judas and still had him participate in that moment with the disciples. And I want to encourage us now that we have more time than usual to reflect. That you kind of have as much time as you need at this moment. That I want to encourage us to humble ourselves and consider where we are before God right now. That if if we've been in a place that our, our hearts have been hardened, that we've been giving ourselves over to our sinful nature, that maybe even you, you know, God forbid, you feel like you're in a place like Judas where you just you're at your worst right now. That you still have the opportunity to, to come before Jesus in a unique way at this moment. And I'm going to say a prayer in just a second here. And we're going to have a time for, for you to pause the video and take some time to worship. You know, it actually just said here in verse 30, if you notice that, after they took communion together, it says that they, they sang hymns, they sang some songs together, and then they went off to the garden for Jesus to go pray. That singing songs is such an important part of, I believe, our communion and softening our hearts to Jesus. And so below... Below this video, in the link in the description, there's a, there's a link to our, uh, our YouTube playlist that has some suggested songs for you to sing with your family. And I want to encourage you, take some time to sing together, pray together, take communion, and, and, and really connect with, with the fact that, that Jesus allows us to even do this in spite of where we are. He did it with Judas in spite of where Judas was. And then I want to encourage you to come back over to the video and you can play it again. And we're going to take up our offering together, you know, for the members of the church, our weekly offering, and then we'll finish up the service. So I'm going to say a word of prayer and then you can pause for worship. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving Judas in spite of Judas's sin, in spite of where he was at, in spite of, in spite of the damage that he was going to cause. God, thank you for the example that Jesus sets by continuing to love Judas anyways. And thank you, God, that in a similar way, in, in spite of where we are, we still have the chance to come before you in humility and connect with the cross. To connect with Jesus saying, man, I, my body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. God, I pray that you will humble us right now, that we will, uh, that we will turn our eyes and our attention to the cross, and that, and that we will make decisions to be different as a result of what Jesus was willing to do to rescue us. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome back. I hope you had a great time of communion, that your worship was meaningful, and I hope that stirred up in your hearts. We're now going to transition to the time of taking up our, our weekly offering for our church. And if you would like to give and you're not a member, we would be grateful. But for the rest of you, this is our weekly time to, to give our offering. So turn your Bible over to Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, in verse 29, it says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. There he went up to a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. 
He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up the seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men beside women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went, went to the vicinity of Magadan. All right. So this is the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And what's so crazy about this story is that, you know, the miracle that happened, uh, or Jesus healing all these different people, and now he's telling his disciples, right, it's time to feed these people. I don't want them just to go away. They might pass out. And the disciples naturally were looking around at the crowds, because there was just 4,000 men, not to mention women and children. The disciples were freaking out. They're thinking, where in the world are we going to get enough food to feed these people? And really where they're thinking was, is they, is they were focused on the numbers and the problem that they saw in front of them and not thinking about what Jesus was capable of. Now, part of what makes this story even crazier is they had already experienced this miracle before. Just one chapter earlier in Matthew 14, Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed more people than they currently were experiencing in literally almost the exact same way. So what this communicates to me is that the disciples had some short memories that they had already experienced Jesus do this before. And they're still looking around going, where are we going to get food for all these people? And really, I think this this continues to illustrate how we are as people, that in the situation even we're currently in right now, the numbers in our lives may not feel like they add up from the number from the amount of toilet paper rolls we have. To our finances. We know we're, we're in a very challenging economic situation uh, in the world right now. But what we tend to do as people is that we tend to have short memories in the face of problems or a crisis. And we can forget what God and what Jesus are capable of. And what I love here in these, in, in Jesus's, in the story that Jesus does is he tells his disciples, all right, look, give me what you have. And what they had wasn't much. What they had was some loaves of bread and fish. Not enough to feed thousands of people. But obviously Jesus was capable of doing more. He broke it and people had plenty to eat and there was leftover. And what this communicates to me, even when it comes to our giving, and I know that we're in an uncertain time and, 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 and there can be a lot of fear surrounding our, our finances, that I want to encourage us to look to Jesus, to give what we have, and let God multiply it. Let's trust that Jesus has taken care of us before. He's multiplied what we've had before. And he can do it again. And so there's a link down below in the description box that shows where to give online. Or you can see right down the, on the bottom of the screen that you can text IEDC to 77977 to give there. And I want to encourage us. Let's be faithful for what God can do. I'm going to say a prayer for our giving. God, thank you so much that we that you've always taken care of us, that you've taken care of us in ways beyond our comprehension, and, and you always meet our needs. Father, I pray that you will help us to be faithful as we give to you, to, to have eyes of, of, of faith and what Jesus is capable of. God, that, that, that what we give right now, that you're capable of multiplying it, Father. Thank you so much, and we love you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we wrap up here, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week. And we want to invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram because all week long throughout the week, we have ways to engage and questions and things to help us 
uh, be part of things together as we go throughout our week. And also down below in the description, there's a link to a video for Hope Worldwide, which is uh, the benevolent arm of our church. In the middle of everything that's going on right now, Hope still has boots on the ground and is still trying to help meet needs around the world. They do relief efforts. We have a hospital in Cambodia uh, that, that needs are being met all around the world while everything is still shut down. And in that video will be a link of where to give. And, a, and you can also text to give through the number that we set up earlier during the offering. But we love you. Have a great day.